Well, good morning. Let's do that one more time for my benefit. Good morning. (laughs) Affection. My name is Pastor James. I'm the worship pastor here. Usually I am walking off the stage about this point in the service, but today they've left me up here and they even gave me a microphone. So I'm super excited. But before we go any further, I do want to say thank you. Can we give Nate and the team a round? It's wonderful as the worship pastor to not be here one week and then to be here and not have to lead worship because we've got such capable people that we can hand the baton off to. So we are so blessed. Again, my name is Pastor James. I'm glad to be here. And today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. And I have to warn you, today's sermon is a distressing one. No, literally, it's about distress. Jonah chapter 2. What do you think of when you think of something that's distressing? Is it money? Is it a family situation? Is it getting up in front of people and speaking? Well, regardless of what example you're thinking of, I'm sure that we all can think of something that when I say the word distress, when I say the word stress, something pops to your mind. Well, I want to show you something that caused me stress. And about a year ago, this happened. And I've got a video to show you. Lunchtime on July 6th, in just seconds, an entire U-Haul shredded to smithereens. As you see here, the eruption sent chunks of metal thrusting throughout this neighborhood, with one onlooker paralyzed by disbelief. Security of video shows that it took only a few minutes before emergency workers were on the scene here. Faced with a sudden, violent eruption, officers ordered onlookers to go back inside. Yet, as witnesses told us two weeks ago, Damage was already done. Given how violent this eruption was, police say it is still truly incredible that nobody was hurt or even killed. Has that happened to any of you guys before? <laughs> All right. So uh, actually, I just, this just came to mind. Brian said he had like a couple thousand dollar illustration the other day. I think that tops it. Okay, so anyways... That occurred, that happened. And when it happened, I was in the ministry center, I was setting up for a memorial service, and the concussion that I felt felt like the air conditioners on top of the ministry center had blown up. I ran outside to see a piece of metal fall about 35 feet in front of me, and in that moment, I was distressed. (laughs) But it got worse. I thought the air conditioner had blown up, which would have been bad, But actually what happened was everything that was in that moving vehicle blew up. And to add to that, after the explosion, the piano lit on fire and completely burnt. I was in distress. There were so many things going through my head. There were so many questions. How did this happen? What's going on? I got to meet the ATF and the FBI in the same day. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to end up in the back of a police cruiser? I did not know. As I look back and remember those questions, I think I've boiled it down to one question that Jonah can help with us today. How do I respond while I'm in this moment of distress? I would invite you to turn to your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. We'll learn some lessons from Jonah as he's responding to his moment of distress. We pick up in chapter 2, as the narrator has described that Jonah's been cast overboard during a raging storm, and if that wasn't enough, he's swallowed by a great fish. 
Jonah's in the belly of the great fish, and he has some time to ponder, and he begins to reach out to God. He prays and begins to describe what has happened and the fact that he's distressed because of it. So what does he do? How does he respond when he's in distress? And how should we respond when we're in distress? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your word knowing that we need to hear from you today. We ask that we would hear and that we would respond. I pray that as we look at Jonah, we would see what we are to do. I pray that we would see you clearly and that we would respond to you well. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. During different times in our lives, we find ourselves in distress, and today we get to check out how Jonah is going to respond. Let's read together Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in around me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regards of vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's important how Jonah, and in turn us as believers, respond to distress. Whether it's loss of a job, whether it's a move to a faraway place, financial loss, or maybe your U-Haul truck explodes. Or in Jonah's case, you get tossed overboard and swallowed by a great fish. How do we respond in these moments? How do we respond while we're in distress? We looked at Jonah to see three responses to the fact that he was in distress. And we see first that Jonah takes the time to acknowledge that we are in distress. Verse three to six is gonna show us how Jonah looks around, he takes notice. He acknowledges that there's a mess and that something is wrong. He uses a couple phrases. Cast into the deep in verse three. Some translations use the word hurled. This word carries the meaning of being ejected or disposed of. It's not gentle. The storm had been hurled on them. The cargo was hurled overboard and now Jonah was chucked into the water. He wasn't gently placed. He was chucked into the ocean. The sailors were desperate to get rid of him. They knew that they needed to do something about this. Get this guy out of here, I could imagine them saying. Another descriptor is that the waters closed in. He was surrounded. He was being suffocated by water. He's sinking and he's starting to suffocate. Now, if you think that's bad, which I think that's pretty bad already, and we're only a couple phrases in, it also tells us that weeds were wrapped around his head. As if the trapping of the water wasn't big enough, he's wrapped around and he's pulled down. He continues to acknowledge that he went down to the land that is closed up forever. 
These verses show that Jonah is feeling utter hopelessness. He's not sitting in the belly of the fishing going, this is a deluxe accommodations. I'm so happy that I'm here. He recognizes that he's in a place of distress and he's sitting there and he's, he's, he just doesn't know what to do. Now, as I was studying, verse four kind of popped out here. He uses the phrase, driven away from your, that's God's, sight. As I was looking at this prayer and reading the commentaries, this is the description that seems to distress Jonah the most. What if he's been taken away from the Lord and there's no way back? What if he's been taken away and there's nothing he can do? The situation that's distressing him physically also has a spiritual aspect to it. It's weighing him down that he's physically in trouble, but spiritually he recognizes that he has been taken away from God. Martin Luther points out this fact that Jonah recognizes that he's in trouble, and he says this, Jonah does not say the waves and the billows of the sea went over me. Martin Luther is reading from the old King James here, but he says thy waves and thy billows because he felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and of his wrath to punish sin. Jonah's living in the stomach of this great fish and he looks around and acknowledges, I am in trouble physically and spiritually. And he takes that to the Lord and he says, Lord, I'm in distress. I'm worried that I've been driven from your presence physically and spiritually and I will never return. Jonah acknowledges that he's in distress. We find distress in our own lives. Some of you walked in today with a weight on your shoulders that is unbearable. It's not even really easily explained. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to say, Lord, I'm in a mess. I'm at wit's end. I can't handle this. I would encourage you as we see Jonah's response to acknowledge that you're in distress. Now, acknowledgement is hard. When I say acknowledge, it's easy to say the word acknowledge. It's hard to do that. And I think one reason that it's hard to do that is because we'd rather keep doing what we've been doing. We'd rather maintain the status quo. Now, I'm a father of a fun one-year-old, and every now and then he likes to wake us up in the middle of the night. Now, there's a couple different ways of dealing with this when it happens. My favorite way is to live in denial to continue to sleep, and just for the record, I promise I can't actually hear him, and I continue to sleep, and I continue to enjoy my hard-earned rest. Now, my wonderful wife, Christy, does not think that this is acceptable, and she's correct, and she chooses to acknowledge that there's a problem. She chooses to do the hard thing and say, our baby is crying. She wakes up. She wakes me up. We go and we hang out with him for a little bit. Again, I would rather do the easy thing, which is to acknowledge it and just keep going. But that's not what I'm called to do in that moment. I need to recognize the cries are real and to move forward that. Jonah recognizes this situation. He doesn't sit in the belly of the fish and close his eyes and say, if I hum loud enough, this will go away. Take permission from Jonah. When we're in distress, it's time to acknowledge it. We don't need to ignore it or push it away. Let's recognize that it's real. 
We've acknowledged that we're in distress. So let's see from Jonah, well, what's the second lesson we can learn? Let's jump back into chapter two. Well, actually, there's something missing that I want to point out. And that's, we need to repent while we're in distress. This is not in chapter two. I scoured it from top to bottom, backwards to forwards, left to right. And I don't see where Jonah responds in this way. Acknowledging the problem is one thing, but we need to be examining ourselves and repent for the wrong things we've done. We've seen that Jonah's driven away from the Lord, and that's distressing him. But let's take a moment to remember why he is here. He's here because of his direct and defiant disobedience. Jonah can't sit in the belly of the great fish and say, I did everything right. I don't know why I'm here. He disobeyed God. He was told to go to Nineveh to deliver the good news that God wanted them to repent from their sins and turn to him. Now again, Nineveh in this context is a synonym of evil. When Israelites thought of evil, they thought of the Assyrians. They wanted the Assyrians to just go away. Jonah wanted them to just be destroyed. That would be better. Now again, those are all justifications that Jonah listed off in his mind. And with that, he went geographically in the complete opposite direction. But God had other plans. He caused a great storm to come on the boat, and Jonah was tossed overboard and swallowed. So again, Jonah's in this situation that he acknowledged because of his direct and defiant disobedience. But as we look through the prayer, we never see that he actually says, I'm wrong. I've done something wrong. I need to turn from the direction I was headed. He doesn't say that. There's no remorse, no apology, no turning away from sin. The closest he gets is speaking true things about God, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But as we look through the book, this chapter included, we see that Jonah continues to lack repentance and contrition. Unlike Jonah, when appropriate, we need to repent while we're in distress. Now, before I go any further on this point, I want to point out something that Pastor Nick pointed out last week. And that's that if you find yourself under siege and in distress, that does not mean that it is the direct result of sin. I want to repeat that. If you find yourself under siege and in distress, that does not mean that it is the, the direct result of sin. But that's not Jonah's context here. Jonah has directly defied God. And so we need to take a lesson from him or a lesson from his lack of action, that when appropriate, we need to repent. Repentance begins with taking the time to stop and examine ourselves and confess those things that are done wrong. Jonah leaves us wanting for an example, so I thought we'd jump into the Old Testament and look to an example that I think is a good one. Now, King David is called the man after God's own heart. And as we look at his life, sometimes I wonder why, but I think this is an example of why we can call him that. King David is hanging out at home when he should be at war, and he's chilling on his balcony. I don't know how many of you have some nice balconies that overlook the sound, but his balcony was overlooking a lady's house. And he asks, I didn't actually notice this until I read it this past week, he actually asks who that lady is that got his attention, and he is point blank told she is the wife of Uriah. You would think that hopefully slow him down. It doesn't. He calls her in and he takes her as his own and he covers it up and he puts the cherry on top by murdering Uriah. As the scene calms down, I could see David is probably like, okay, 
I got away with it. And in walks the prophet Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan tells him a story of a man with many, many sheep. He looks out and he has bountiful collections of sheep and he sees a man with one sheep. This sheep is dear to that man and the man with many sheep reaches out and takes them. I think it's ironic because David actually gives God what he should do to himself. David's outraged and he blurts out, as sure as the Lord lives, the man who's done this should die. Nathan looks at him and says to him, you are the man. Now, David, like Jonah, acknowledges in verse 13, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. So David acknowledges the situation, similar to how Jonah did. But Jonah, excuse me, David, turns the corner, and in Psalm 51, he chooses to confess his sin while he's in that distress. David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, where do we see this mirrored in Jonah's prayer? We don't. They both acknowledge something, but David takes the time to respond to his sin. He turns the corner and confesses. Now again, David gives us a positive example that Jonah just doesn't follow through. But why would we want to take the time to examine and repent? I think this is a simple reason. The Lord will forgive. 1 John 1.9 states, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. The Lord that we serve is one who will forgive. We need to, when in sin, turn around, confess, and come back to our Heavenly Father. So, we've acknowledged that there is a problem. That we've acknowledged that we are in distress. When necessary, we've examined ourselves and repented. And that takes us to point number three, that we need to pray while we're in distress. Regardless of our level of righteousness, something is wrong. We need someone who can help. We can pray and talk to the person who can do something. Now, I have to admit, when I jumped into chapter two, I was ready to grab a shovel and just relentlessly beat Jonah and tell you what a horrible person he is and how we can't learn anything from him. But the fact that Jonah chapter two is in this book helped me turn the corner and to realize that although Jonah, a very broken individual, he's teaching us something by the fact that he was actually willing to talk to his heavenly father. It's really easy to be hard on Jonah for his actions, for not repenting, for going in the complete opposite direction. But he leaves us an example in this chapter of what to do while we're in distress, and that's to pray. Now, this contrast to chapter one is Jonah was sitting in the belly of the ship and not praying. He wasn't talking to God in that moment. But now in the belly of the fish, he's had some time, time to think, time to pause, time to consider, and because of that, he's going to reach out to his heavenly Father. Verse 2 says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. That's the phrase that's used to describe what Jonah is doing. This is a verb or an action. It has other synonyms as shout or summon. Jonah's in distress and he screams out to the Lord. 
David provides a good example of this too to kind of just show you another place. David cries out to the Lord at times and says things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry day by day, but you do not answer me. Little James is crying out right now. Again, despair and distress cause us, needs to cause us to call out to our heavenly Father. Now, let's jump to the end in verse 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Praying is important, but praying to the right person is even more important. Jonah calls out to the God who can save him. But he does it in two different ways here. Verse 8, he contrasts who God is with who idols are. He says those that pay regard to those idols, which I think Jonah has built up idols in himself, when we pay regard to those idols, we are giving up that steadfast love. But he turns the corner in verse 9. He ends with a declaration statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In my Bible, there's an exclamation mark on the end of that statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He calls out to the one who has salvation. He recognizes that his strength isn't going to cut it. His response to this distress isn't going to do anything. And he says, Lord, I need you. And he's taking time to talk to him. While we are in distress, we need to pray. And we need to pray to the one who is in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. Distress should push us towards God, not away. We know this to be true in our heads, but do we actually apply this? We need to talk to him. But I think we become so many different things. We become ashamed. We feel so weak. We want to maintain the status quo. Everything's all right. I don't need to go to God with this. I'm strong enough. I can handle this. We're getting back to the ashamed thing. I'm too dirty. There, there's nothing I can bring to this that God will accept me. There's a perfect New Testament example, and that's in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And he, being Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Jumping into this parable, we see that the first thing that the son does is says, Father, can I treat you like you're dead? Can I treat you like you're not there? I want my cut, and I'm going to go off into the world. Now, literally one verse later, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property. One verse. The son got one verse in. But he's not ready to talk to his father yet. He starts hanging out with some pigs. He starts snacking with the pigs. And finally he realizes, do you know what? My father's servants have more than enough bread. So I'm ready. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
The prodigal son acknowledged that he was in a situation as he was eating the same thing pigs were, which again, I'm sure that was a delectable meal. And he turns the corner and he's ready to repent and he's about to go and talk to his father. But instead of a response that humanly we want to give, which is, you got what you deserved, congratulations on wasting that much money, no, I don't want to help you. The dad leaps off the porch, races down the hill, up the road, and before his son can even utter the words, I'm sorry, his dad throws his arms around him and can't stop kissing him. Let's have a party, his dad shouts. My boy's back home. He ran away. I lost him, but now I have him back. This is a picture of who Jonah was talking to, a God who wants him and in turn us back. We need to come We need to come to this father and talk to him. He's the only one who can do something about this. He can change our hearts and he can cleanse us. We see Jonah's response and we've learned positive and negative examples. We've learned that we need to acknowledge in our distress. We gotta say there's a mess. We need to examine ourselves. We need to repent when necessary. And we've got to take time to pray to the one who can do something about it. I think all of us can be put into two camps as we seek to apply these lessons. First of all, those of us that are currently in distress. There's some of you out here that I can't even begin to dream of the stress that you're going through right now. I think Jonah would want you to take a moment to acknowledge that you're in a stressful situation. Jonah doesn't keep his eyes closed and just say, it's all good, it'll go away. It goes against our desire to maintain the illusion that everything's perfect, but we've got to take the time to say, I'm in distress. Jonah, through his lack of example, also teaches us that we've got to look inside, we've got to examine. And so while you're in distress, keep looking inside yourself, keep talking to God, what's going on inside of me? And I think chiefly, if you're in distress, apply the lesson that chapter two is. If you're in distress right now, you gotta run to Jesus. Don't run away, come closer to him. If you're not feeling in distress right now, remember that in times of comfort, we should be preparing our hearts to do what is right. Stress will come, and when it does, we wanna be ready to respond properly. Jonah wasn't ready. His mindset wasn't right. He wasn't ready to respond properly. As that U-Haul blew up, I took inventory of how I was gonna respond. The event began to wrap up and I was given the advice that allowed me to show Christ off well. I was given the advice, hey, write a little note, put it on the dashboard of the person whose window got broken and say, hey, I'd like to clean this up for you. I'd like to take care of this. And because of that, I had a great encounter with that lady. Because of that, I was able to show Christ off well in that moment. We've got to be prepared before we get in those moments. We got to be ready before we get in those moments. And so if you're not in distress right now, start prepping now. We can also use this time to be there for those that are in distress. We are the body of Christ. It's time to pray for each other. In all we do, we want to show off our Savior. Let's respond well 
when distress hits. Let's acknowledge our worries, repent of our wrongdoings, and pray to the Lord who can do all things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see our struggles. Help us to acknowledge what our problems are, examine ourselves, and talk to you. Lord, I personally admit that I tend to turn away from you in distress. Work on me, Lord. Help me to learn from Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen.